Alright. Well, it's good to see all of you out tonight. We're glad that you're here with us. And as I mentioned this morning, our lesson for this evening is going to be coming. It's all one sermon, really. And this morning we got through the introduction. And so hopefully we'll, we'll see how far we get. But uh, maybe we can get through the rest of the lesson tonight. Um, but if you will, uh, we're looking at our worship. And so far this morning we have looked at the different types of worship that we find. And we realize that when it comes to Scripture, there are five acts of worship. But not only do we have that type of worship, but we looked at some other types of worship that we should not be involved in. And this morning we looked at vain worship and how that is something that we need to avoid. Whenever we look at our own lives and our own service to God, we need to avoid worshiping in vain. And there are many people that will come to God. As it's mentioned in, um, we looked at this morning, Mark chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. And as part of that, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and the scribes. And he says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Even though they were worshiping, they weren't worshiping with the right heart. And because of that, the worship that they were giving was not in accordance with God's will. And it goes on to say, In vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. They were not doing as they should. They were not teaching the things that they should. And that was a problem as well. We noticed Cain's sacrifice and the sacrifice of Nadab and Abihu and how those acts of worship, even though they were supposed to be done toward God, were not done in the right way, not done in the right manner. They were not done according to God's will. And because of that, they were in vain. We also talked about ignorant worship and how we need to be aware of those that worship without knowing what they're worshiping. Or those that worship and not knowing the reason why they're worshiping in the first place. We need to avoid ignorant worship. But the worship that we need to participate in is true worship. We need to have our hearts and minds in the right place. True worship is done in spirit and in truth. The spirit of man is drawn to worship. And we should worship God. We should also worship Him according to the truth that He has given us in His Word. We need to avoid idolatry. We need to avoid self-seeking pleasure. And make sure that God is first and foremost in our lives. But in doing so, when we look at worship, we realize that there are different acts that are mentioned throughout Scripture. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. The different acts of worship that we need to participate in and how we need to participate in them. The outline that I have for tonight is based on the song, as I mentioned this morning, True Worship, that we find in our books, number 511. And even though it's a Lord's Supper song, uh, gives us reference as well to other acts that we do. The first line of the song says, Oft we come together. And certainly we do. And we need to come together. We need to come together in fellowship. We need to come together for worship. Those things are important. And the next line says, Oft we sing. Oft we sing. 
Whenever we look at Scripture, we see that singing is one of the acts of worship that we need to participate in. We understand from Scripture that hymns were sung. Look at Matthew 26 and verse 30, and it says that when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This was before Jesus' crucifixion. We also see in Acts chapter 16 and verse 25, it says, But at midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So we see when it comes to the disciples that they sung on a regular basis. They sung even in time of need. We see Paul and Silas in prison. What are they doing? They're singing. Singing is a very important act of our worship. How is singing to be done? There are a few passages that we find in the New Testament that involve singing. And tell us a little bit about how that singing should be done. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 15 says, What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit. I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit. I will also sing with the understanding. Spirit is used in the same way that we read of it in John chapter 4. And when we look at the spirit, worship, the aspect of worshiping in spirit and in truth, it involves the spirit of man. We, in our souls, in our hearts, need to worship God from them. It's something that we should want to do. It's something that we should desire. We should desire to worship God. And so... We should sing with the Spirit. But not only that, we should sing with the understanding as well. You know, it does no use for us to really sing. And, and I'll admit, sometimes there are songs that I've sung for years. And maybe I'll notice something that I hadn't noticed before. But we need to understand what we're singing. We need to make sure that the songs that we're singing are in accordance with God's will. Even looking through our psalm book, we see that there are songs in our books that are not in accordance with God's will. For one reason or another, we need to be careful of the messages. We need to understand what we're seeing. Ephesians 5.19 talks of speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. We use psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And I remember when I was here the first time, I remember that Jeff had a lesson one time. And, and, and he asked us, I think it was a class that we were doing, and, and he asked, what's the difference between a song, a hymn, and a spiritual song? And the best way that I could explain it, whenever we look at the scriptures, we see the book of Psalms. There are certain songs that are written like the book of Psalms. Those are the psalms that we would refer to. Hymns are most often references to God or to Christ. 
prayer songs a lot of the time are hymns. And so those are important as well. And almost anything else that we can find with a spiritual meaning, a good sound meaning that is grounded in Scripture would be referred to as a spiritual song. And all of these are very important to us. All of these we use in singing to God. We make melody in our heart to the Lord. If our heart is not involved as it should be, then our worship, again, is not as it should be. Colossians 3.16 Let the word of, God dwell, or well, word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another very similarly in psalms, hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And James 5 and verse 13, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. If you haven't noticed, I'm a pretty happy person. And a lot of times I go around singing different songs. And a lot of them are the songs that we sing in our worship services. I remember at Sportscom a few years ago, we had a girl who hadn't been there that long. And uh, I was working with her and, and another. And I, I don't know, I got to sing. And, and uh, she, she turned to the, the girl that we were working with. She said, he's singing. God's singing. And uh, the girl we were working with, she said, Oh, honey, if you haven't heard a song from Kyle during the day, something's wrong. <laughs> it's just something that I do. And even sometimes when we're downhearted, we can use songs. They help to cheer us up. The songs can be used in a different way and to help our emotions, to help us to understand the feelings that we should have when we come to worship God. But there's a specific way that we sing in our worship services. And there's a way that we sing outside of those. I know of people that, that sing in quartets and groups and things of that nature. And I see no problem with that as long as it's not in the worship service. Whenever we bring in instrumental music, that's when we have to, to understand that the New Testament has not authorized that in our worship today. I remember speaking to Jeff on another occasion and he said, you know, somebody mentioned that this little corner right here would be the perfect corner for an organ or a piano or something. And he said, but it'll never happen because we understand that we don't have those things in our worship service. There's a time and place for them. Worship is not them. There's no authority given for instruments in worship in the New Testament. And some people will go back to the Old Testament, and there are a couple of references to instruments in worship. 1 Chronicles chapter 25 and verse 1, for instance, says, Moreover, David and the captains of the army separated for the service some of the sons of Asaph of Heman and Jebuthun, who should prophesy with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals. Another reference is given in 2 Chronicles 29 and verse 25, and he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments, and with harps, according to the commandment of David. I've heard people say, well, that was in the commandment of David, but... Look a little bit further. 
of Gad the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet, for thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. Yes, these things were used in worship in the Old Testament. We live under a new law. We live under the New Testament. And when we look at these, they had a particular purpose as well. A purpose that would really not be a purpose in our New Testament worship. They were used to prophesy as part of the worship service. Prophecy is no longer a part of the things that we do. There is a time and place for it. But when Jesus died on the cross, when he put to death the old law, we were given a new law through the apostles. And that's the law that we follow. And as you look at the New Testament, there is no authority for musical instruments in our worship. So when we sing, we are told to sing using psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We're told to use our voices. We're told to sing from the heart. We're told to understand what we sing. We need to use the authority that is given to us and understand that that is the only thing that we are to use in our singing. I've often thought, I, I remember a few years ago, when I was worshiping with Science Hill, we had the services at the NHC nursing home in Murfreesboro. And I remember just after our worship service, there was a, a group, another denomination, that was coming in. And all we had to do was pass out psalm books. We had old psalm books, and we passed them out to the people. Some of them sang from memory. But I thought, how simplistic. And then this group comes in, and, and they have to have a trailer to haul their instruments and all their equipment. But that wasn't what God intentioned for the worship of the New Testament church. He intentioned for it to be very simple, very easy, and it is. We have a song leader. doesn't even have to have the best voice necessarily. But if we can sing together to God, that's what he's pleased with. In addition to our singing, though, we also understand that praying is a part of our worship. You know, Jesus taught his disciples... How to pray in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 15. Matthew 6, beginning with verse 5. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father, who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them. For your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask Him. In this manner, therefore, pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus gave what is often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. I think it's better put as the model prayer. I don't know that he intentioned for us to repeat it as we do. But when we look at this prayer, we understand how to pray. We understand the things that we are to pray for. And those are the things that we pray for in our worship services as well. But prayer is meant to be a humble thing. It's supposed to be done with humility. It's supposed to be done in secret, even. It's not something to be used to be proud of ourselves or to use words that, that really are meaningless before God. But we come to God with a pure heart and petition Him for the things that we need. And we know that He is faithful to answer in the best way. We understand that the church continued in prayer. Go back to Acts 2 and verse 42. They, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. The church continued in prayer with one another to God. And how are we to pray? We understand that we pray in the name of Christ to God, giving thanks. Colossians 3 and verse 17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We are to pray for one another as well as for our enemies. Matthew 5 and verse 42. We are to pray to avoid temptation. Matthew 26 in verse 41. And we are to pray in faith and forgivingly. Mark 11, 24 and 25. Prayer is a very important part. It's a very powerful part of the Christian life. But I believe it's one that is often taken for granted. Oft we sing and pray. And here we bring our offering on this holy day. We are to give in accordance with God's will. The precedence for giving on the first day of the week as the disciples gathered is given in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verses 1 through 4. Now concerning the collection for the saints as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also on the first day of the week. Let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. And when I come, whomever you approve by your letters, I will send to bear your gift to Jerusalem. But if it is fitting that I go also, they will go with me. We give on the first day of the week. And it's good that we store up these things so that we can use them whenever they are needed. When we give, we are to give with a cheerful heart. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verses 6 through 9. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. 
So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor His righteousness endures forever. When we give, it shouldn't be something where we just pull something out of our wallet or, or just give something that whatever we have, that's not how we give. We should purpose in our heart. We should give because we want to give to the work of the church, to those who are in need. But when it comes to our giving, especially in regard to worship, it is money all that we are to give. You know, when we think of the collection, that's the, the type of giving that we often think of. But there's more to giving than that. You see, we give of our time, of ourselves, to be here to worship God. When we look at the Christians of the first century, when we look at the scriptures, we see that they gave of themselves first according to their ability. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1-5 through 5, Moreover, brethren, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia, that in a, in a great trial of affliction the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. For I bear witness that according to their ability, yes, and beyond their ability, they were freely willing, imploring us with much urgency that we would receive the gift and the fellowship of the ministering to the saints, not only as we had hoped, but they first gave themselves to the Lord, and then to us by the will of God. Giving does apply to money, but it applies to more than that. We give ourselves to God first. When we give ourselves to God, then we give the other things as well. But we need to make sure that we give ourselves to God in the way that we are asked to do. May we keep in memory. Whenever we come together on the first day of the week, one of our purposes is to partake of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper was instituted by Christ with the apostles. Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29 says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. It is a communion. It is a sharing of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 17, the cup of blessing which we bless. 
Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. It is a communion with Christ. We also learn from the Scriptures, and in particular from the letter of Paul to the Corinthians, that it can be abused. But it shouldn't be. We'd be careful not to partake of it in the wrong way. First Corinthians 11. If you want to turn there, we'll read several verses from this chapter. First Corinthians chapter 11 and beginning with verse 17. It says, Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, that those who are approved may be recognized among you. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. And one is hungry, and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I do not praise you. Be careful not to abuse the Lord's Supper. We are also instructed in this chapter as to the manner in which it should be observed. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Continues into verse 27. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason many are weak and sick among you, many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. But if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, lest you come together for judgment. And the rest I will set in order when I come. This is not a meal that we're sharing. And when we partake of this, it needs to be done in remembrance of Christ. We remember His death. We remember His sacrifice on the cross. We remember the body that was given on our behalf. 
and we remember the blood that was shed for us. That's how we are to partake of the Lord's Supper. And how often should the Lord's Supper be observed? Every first day of the week. We know churches that have decided that eh, we don't want to take it too often. We don't want it to become a ritual or something like that. We want it to have meaning when we partake of it. But how much meaning does it have if we're not doing it in accordance with the New Testament Scriptures? Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Acts 20 and verse 7. This was something that was done every week. Every first day of the week. And so, we continue in the Apostles' Doctrine to partake of the Lord's Supper, the bread of the cup, the fruit of the vine, on every first day of the week. And that verse kind of leads us into our next point as well. Continues Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight for the joke. He continued his message till midnight. All that thou hast said, even though that, that phrase doesn't necessarily maybe apply to preaching, it does in, in some ways. Because it is something that we're commanded to do. All that thou hast said. Christians are commissioned to preach the gospel to the world. Matthew 28 and verses 18 through 20. We see what we often refer to as the Great Commission. And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Mark 16, 15, And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. We are told as Christians to preach the gospel. We are to preach the gospel to the lost. We are to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are to teach them to observe all things that He has commanded us. And preaching begins in the church. We preach in our worship services. We proclaim the message. We come to an understanding of it so that we can go out and teach other people. We see the example for preaching is provided in the New Testament as well. Not just in Paul, but Acts chapter 5 and verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. How many others do we find preaching the gospel to great groups of people? Think of Jesus on many occasions. Before the New Testament was established, He prepared the people by teaching them what they needed to do now. Mainly going to the Jews and teaching them to repent. We see that Stephen and Paul they were great examples of preaching the gospel. 
Both of them used their respective trials as opportunities to share the word with those who needed it. Peter presented the gospel message for the first time on the day of Pentecost, according to Acts 2, establishing the church as we know it. On that day, about 3,000 souls were baptized, were obedient to the gospel plan of salvation. Christians are called to do another kind of preaching as well, though. You see, whether you think of it or not, you're a preacher of something. You are a living lesson. You are a living example to those that are lost. And Christians are to be a living lesson in the way that they live. Romans 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, many people will go as far as to say that that even our lives can be used as worship. And I don't know if that's necessarily what is said here. But we are to be a living sacrifice to God. When it comes to our bodies and our lives, we are to offer them to God. And if we live the way that we ought to live, we're going to be an example of good to those around us. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16 says, You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. There are many wandering in darkness. I'm not talking about the literal night darkness. There are many people that are lost. Many people that do not know God. And even if they don't see anything else, even if they will not hear your words, they will see your example. They cannot help but see your example. And so you may win them over by your example. But be a light to those who are in darkness. We are to worship God. We are to worship Him in spirit and in truth. In worship, we are only to do those things which we are given authority for. Preaching, praying, singing, giving, and observing the Lord's Supper. Those are all important acts of worship, but we need to do it in accordance with God's will. Jesus tells us very plainly that we need to make sure to do God's will. Matthew 7 and verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Not everyone who proclaims to be a Christian not everyone who proclaims to serve God. Not everyone who feels like 
they're right with Him. Is an actuality right with Him. And it may very well be. It will be. Because Jesus said it. There will be many people on that day of judgment that will go to Him thinking they've done His will. But they have not. Their worship has not been what it should be. It's not been in accordance with His Word. Their worship is not right. And like Cain, his sacrifice was rejected because what he did wasn't in accordance with God's will. So will their sacrifice of worship be rejected? I hope that we're not in that number. I hope we are worshiping the way that God wants us to. We are given authority by God to do these things and these things alone. Scriptures are given through inspiration. Acts chapter 1 and verse 16. 2 Timothy 3 verse 16. Inspired writers were guided in all truth according to John 16 and verse 13. And we are not to add to or take away from God's word. Revelation 22 verses 18 and 19. True worship begins with true Christianity. Begins with obedience to the gospel. Obedience in faith. In confession. In repentance. In baptism for the remission of sins. And only through those things. Do we find. That we become Christians. And once we become Christians. Just as those. On the day of Pentecost, continued in the Apostles' Doctrine, so we do today. And we continue in faithful living. We continue in faithful service and work. Being soul winners for Christ. We continue in faithful worship of God. As He has commanded Every first day of the week, we gather, we sing, we pray. We proclaim a message from God's Word. We partake of the Lord's Supper. We give of our means. Because God said to. Because God has told us how to do those things. Because we desire to worship Him. I hope that you're right in His sight. I hope that you've done those things that are in accordance with His will. I hope that you're worshiping Him in the way that you should. We always offer an invitation. If anyone is in need of coming to Him in obedience or in repentance or simply to ask for prayer or forgiveness, we give you an opportunity to respond. As together we stand and as we sing.